Good morning, Lydia House. Welcome. Good morning. This is our fourth Sunday of Advent, and this is our Christmas celebration. I'd like to start us out with Matthew, uh, verse 21. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, which means Savior, for he will save his people from their sins. That is, prevent them from failing and missing the true end and scope of life, which is God. And this took place that it might be fulfilled, which the Lord spoke through the prophet Isaiah. Behold, the virgin shall become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which then translated means God with us. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we are celebrating the birth of your son, Jesus, this morning. We thank you, Jesus, that you came and you died for us and that we believe in everything that you have done and we believe that you are coming again. We praise you this day, we worship you this day, and we thank you so much that you gave up your place and came down as a humble child to Bethlehem. And we're celebrating your birth this morning. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. All right, do you want to help Bella light yeah. the candles? We're going to light the candles this morning. And welcome to John and Allie. Hey, guys. And a baby. It's a baby boy on Christmas. How amazing. Yeah. Shh. But according to the song, Jesus didn't cry, so, I mean, I, I actually always skip that song because of that. Real babies cry. It's okay. But the cattle were lowing. They were lowing, super lowing. Like, they were. If the cattle were lowing in our bedroom, they might have not cried either. That's true. Maybe the, the lowing cattle lulls them to sleep. So good job, Bella, lighting all the Advent candles. Including the Jesus candle in the middle, since this is our Christmas service. He's been born. He came, finally. We've been waiting. A thousand years or more. Let's celebrate. Joy to the world. Everybody stand. I believe you know it. Joy to the world. The sword is God. Let us receive her King. Let every heart prepare Him room. And heaven and nature sing. And heaven and nature sing. And heaven and, heaven and nature sing. Joy to the earth. Joy to the earth. Savior reigns, let all their songs employ, while fields and flocks, rocks, hills and plains, repeat the sounding joy, 
everybody here. He's come. Amen. This is another great theology one. What child is this who laid to rest on Mary's lap and Angels green with bamboos, while shepherds watch our King. Yes, this is Christ the King, who shepherds God and angels sing. Face, face, you bring Him one, obey the Son of Mary. Why lies He in such Venus state, where awesome as our The Christian fear for sin is The silent word is pleading. Male spirit shall pierce him through. Because he bore for me, for you. Hail, hail the worldly flesh. Obey the Son of Mary. So bring him incense, golden Sings her love of joy, joy. 
can be seated. We've got a couple of announcements for you. Uh, the offering box is up front in front of the Advent candles, so you may come and present your gifts to Jesus like the wise men of old. And um, Leah and Royal, we're going to do a cello duet today. We did move that, so it'll be sometime in the near future. We will let you know, and we're all looking forward to that. Um, most of you heard we did have a burglary a couple weeks ago. Um, we're still finding more things missing <laughs> as time goes on. Uh, so you can just pray for that. Uh, pray for funds to replace items and that sort of thing. Pray for the security of the building um, at the moment. That would be great. And uh, Japanese student congregation or, uh, group, the group that Masumi helps lead, they had their big Christmas party like a week ago, over 40 people. One of the bigger get-togethers they've had, you know, pandemic-wise. And so... We can pray for those Japanese students, some of whom were hearing the gospel for the first time, didn't know about the real Christmas story. They're going to be meeting again in early January, and so the prayer is that a lot of those you know, students come back in January. So pause real quickly. Father, we pray that you would allow your word and your story to go deep in the hearts of those folks who are hearing it. We pray for your Holy Spirit to create some fertile ground in them to receive that word, that it would grow and flourish. And we pray that they'd come back in January um, for good fellowship and discipleship. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to give a special thanks to Ann and Joel for cooking the last couple of weeks. Um, so much amazing food. Thank you so, so much. It takes a lot of time to do that. It takes a lot of time to do that. So. We feel your love when we eat your food. So thank you for that. All right, we're going to continue worshiping the Lord now, unless anyone can think of an announcement I missed. Are you trying to say something? Or just when are we, when are we, I guess I am. When are we, uh, when is the last Sunday here? When's the next we're going to do that at the end, because it's a longer announcement. And we want to get back to Christmas songs. Yeah. <laughs> So let's stand again and let's sing. But yes, thank you, Tim. We will um, talk about that at the end. God rest ye merry gentlemen, let nothing you dismay. Remember Christ our Savior was born on Christmas Day. To save us all from Satan's power and we were gone astray. Oh, tidings of comfort and joy, comfort and joy. Oh, tidings of comfort and joy. From God our Heavenly Father, a blessed angel came. And unto certain shepherds brought tidings of the same. Our lad in Bethlehem was born, the Son of God by name. Oh, tidings of power. 
Then said the angel, let nothing you affright. This day is born a savior of a pure virgin bright. To free all those who trust in him from Satan's power and might. might know this one too. Yeah. 
time and I want to say Jesus we adore you ready oh Jesus we adore you oh Jesus we adore you oh Jesus we adore you Christ the Lord thank you Jesus for coming so many years ago. Thank you, Father, for giving up your only son yes. for us. Help us this Christmas to see more and more exactly what the Christmas story was all about, to see that sacrifice that you made in love for us. We ask for a spirit of revelation this Christmas, Lord God, to see and understand these things on a deeper level. Silent night, holy night, all is calm, all is bright, round yon virgin, mother and child,
Jesus, Lord, at thy birth. Jesus, Lord, at thy I hadn't uh, seen that before. Shepherds quake at the sight. I think I would have quaked. One angel causes you to quake. One angel causes you to, to respond in fear because they're not the Sunday School variety. They're, they're huge, they're towering. Not exactly, Tim. I can talk about it afterwards. I can I explain they were more fat to you. Babies with a bow and arrow. Yeah. So what if what if the sky was filled with them? Now that doesn't mean that the others saw them because God wouldn't let them see them, but He wanted the shepherds to see them, and the first sight might have been terrifying. So normally, when angels show up, they have to say "fear not" first. So that uh, shepherds quake at the sight makes sense. It's an appropriate response. <laughs> holy night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin. Sweet hymns of joy 
sit down, two things. Isn't it wonderful to sing together, to have people behind us helping us to sing? Isn't that wonderful? Singing is wonderful. And uh, we had an addition a couple weeks ago. Do you, do you notice what we added? Yeah. yeah. That's cool. That, that supports it from... That's, it's wonderful. So thank you very much. Second thing is look around and see if there's anybody you want to give a shake to or hug or tell them you're glad they're here, you know, whatever you want to do. You can give virtual hugs if you want to. It all works. And if uh, you weren't here earlier, that new couple there is, they're older than most of you are, and that they've been, they were with us at 
when we were at the ranch. It's hard to come out of that one. <laughs> okay, okay. Don't get carried away. <laughs> I didn't mean you really do it that much. <laughs> we, we got 40 verses to read in a minute, so we need to... <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> okay. Attention. <laughs> so, as we talked about last week, and there are still notes, if you weren't here last week, uh, we keep the notes from the messages. You help give the message. What did we talk about last week? Yes. The first and second. So Advent means coming. So we talked about two comings. People in the Old Testament didn't quite get that. They didn't understand. They, they knew it was going to be a lamb slain, and they knew it was going to be a king reigning, and they couldn't put those two together. We have the fortune of seeing both ways. So we look back today, and we see that Jesus came to die. And we look ahead and we look forward to his coming with great power and glory, with angels. This army, host literally means army. So it's the heavenly host. It's not, oh, that's nice, that's beautiful. No, it's powerful. And he's coming not to die, but to take over, to reign. And you know what it says? We can reign with him. That's pretty powerful. Timothy says that we can also reign. So we remember, as we take communion this morning, we remember the first and we anticipate the second. He said, I shall not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the day I drink it new with you in, finish it, my father's house. They're getting things ready, ready for occupation. And when things are ready, Jesus says no when he's coming back. Jesus does not know. His father knows. And he'll look over him and he'll say, now. And the angels will say, okay, here we go. And this time they're coming to take over. And if you're not with them, it's not going to be happy. So that's why we pray. That's why we reach out. That's why we, we thank God when people come to faith and trust in Jesus so that they can escape from uh, what I would not want to be a part of. So we take a moment. I used to think as a boy that I was supposed to think a lot about my sin and kind of look at it, and that's wrong. We only, I don't stare at the garbage in our house. I don't, I don't stare at, I just take it out. I get it out there. I don't want to stare at it. I get it out to the front, they, then they take it. But then I get more, so I take that out. So we just want to look inside for a moment. Any unkind words, any wrong thoughts, 
any ideas that need to be properly shaped, anybody that we were thinking negatively about, we confess it. We're sorry, Lord, when we go astray. We know that offends you, hurts you. We thank you that you made provision for it and that we can find forgiveness and mercy. And what we're doing today, we're doing in remembrance of you for what you did for us. And so we pray as you taught us to pray, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Thine is the kingdom, and power, and glory. Amen. Let's stand as we say together, we declare what we believe in the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into heaven. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven, and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the quickening and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Our Lord Jesus Christ, in the night that he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup. When he had supped, when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it. All of you. This cup is the new covenant in my blood shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So we're remembering Jesus now. I invite you to come and you can uh, take of the elements and then you can, you can uh, receive here. Uh, or you can go back to your seats and, and uh, take and eat. And the inside is the wine and the outside is juice. So you can take your pick whether you want juice or whether you want uh, the wine. So come. Star and angels give the sign. Bow to babe on bended knee, Savior of humanity. Unto us a child is born. He shall reign forevermore. Noel, 
what God has done. No. Strengthen you and keep you steadfast until life everlasting. Peace be with you. Amen. Amen. If I were a wise man, 
I would travel far And if I were a shepherd I would do my part But poor as I am I will give to Him my heart He shall reign forevermore To us a child is born, King of kings and Lord of lords, and he shall reign forevermore, forevermore. And here within a manger lies the one who made the starry skies. Baby born for sacrifice, Christ the Messiah. Into our hopes, into our fears, the Savior of the world appears. The promise of eternal years, Christ the Messiah. And He shall reign forevermore, forevermore. Unto us a child is born, King of kings and Lord of lords. He shall reign forevermore, forevermore. He shall reign forevermore, forevermore. And he shall reign forevermore, forevermore. Unto us a child is born, the King of kings and Lord of lords, and he shall reign forevermore, forevermore. That song really puts the two comings together well, doesn't it? Yeah. Unto us a child is born, and he is heading for the throne. Thank you for those wonderful choruses and uh, wonderful songs. It's wonderful to turn on the radio these days, isn't it, to get on the, uh, hear the beautiful Christmas music? Isn't it wonderful to hear that? So we want to pray for one another. want to pray for those who are in need in one way or another. And so uh, we're going to pray for Nate. We're going to pray for Ann. Is there anybody that's not here that's sick that you know of that we need to pray for? Joel, of course. Joel. We need to pray for Joel. So we'll do that while we pray. And um, we will uh, put you in a place where people can put their hand on you here. And uh, a couple of you pray. Put your hand on Ann here. And uh, pray for her. And uh, anybody else that needs prayer? Okay. Go for it. Pardon? Go for it. Yeah. 
Father, we don't do this simply as a, a liturgy without recognizing that you are a healing God and that you love to heal and that uh, you ask us to do your work of healing. And so that's what we do right now. We're not praying and with some uh, crazy hope that it may or may happen, but in confidence in you as a mighty healing God. And so we pray for Nate, believing uh, for him and believing that he's going to uh, get stronger and stronger. His, his breathing is going to be better. His uh, congestion up in the sinuses will get better. We believe for this. We thank you for the surgery. We pray for good healing, quick healing, and strength. That uh, I, I pray that uh, through the prayers, it'll go beyond what the expectation is, far beyond, that you love to do much more, more than we ask or think. You tell us in your word. So we pray for Anne, and we pray for Joel as we're praying for Anne. We pray for her. We're right uh, in the place of her knee, the place where her pain. Is it in your back, Anne? It's a pinched uh, spot in my back that Mm. Not fun. So, God, we, we stand against this. We say that this isn't planned in heaven. That you didn't do this. You didn't mess with her. her. So we pray for uh, a creative miracle now. Mm -hmm. We pray that you would uh, straighten that out. No more pain. No more pinching. In Jesus' name, we speak it forth. We speak healing. We speak life. We bless her. We thank you for her. We thank you that she's putting forth, even with a pinched nerve, that she came and she put things out today. We thank you for her service. We pray for Joel. We, we fight for our brother. Amen. We thank you that he's back with us. We fight for him now, for his healing, for his wholeness, for his strength. In Jesus' name, we expect it. We expect to see him next week. So we pray to have a really good week, that we'll see him next week. We thank you for that. Pray for anybody in our midst or beyond our midst that is having a difficult Christmas. We think of those in Kentucky and Nebraska, the terrible situation that they encountered. People that no longer have a home. How are they going to have a Christmas? Okay, we bless Carrie on her birthday. We pray that you would be with Larry and Carrie and bring them home soon, sooner than expected. Work miracles on their behalf. Also for Amy's dad who had open heart surgery and she's serving us today. Wow. We pray for Amy's dad uh, have, having open heart surgery. We pray for him. When is the surgery? Oh, yeah. Okay, so we, uh, we thank you for healing. Thank you for miracles of grace. We let this season, God, be, be the best yet for us, for all of us, whatever our situation, Amen. as we put our trust in you and see you work on our behalf. And we uh, bless Noreen. She's a neighbor across the street, and she's just wonderful. She and Naomi sometimes go on walks together. We've invited neighbors, and uh, she has come. We hope for others to come. 
friend next door, uh, Ed. I was out shoveling, and uh, he came over with his snowplow. And that, uh, that, that was even faster than I could shovel. <laughs> Not much, no, no. Okay. So we bless Nate as he shares the word with us today. Well, before that, we're going to have a face this way, kind of in the middle. We're going to have a children's sermon today like we usually do, but this time the children's sermon is going to be done by children as well. And they are going to preach directly from the Word of God, and by that I mean they're going to read or recite the Christmas story. And let me get Bella a mic. Everybody wants to take their pictures, so just, just realize that's going to happen and don't be self-conscious. Yeah. I already got it. Okay. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken over the entire Roman world. This, this was, was the first census to take place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he built the house and line of David. He went there to be registered with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While, While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there's no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. When an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for I bring you good news of great joy that will cause joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. This one was the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find him wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those, those whom his favor rests. When the angel had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary, Joseph, and the baby, who was lying in a manger. When they had seen this, they spread the word concerning what had been told to them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds had said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they have heard and seen, which were just as they have been told. Give one to Paul, put one on the stamp. That was long. Impressive. Thank you, kids. 
Sorry, just tidying up. So Merry Christmas, everybody. And let's talk about the story they just recited for us. It's a pretty important story. It's the story, right? The story of Jesus. That's what this whole book is about. Everything in the Old Testament was pointing forward to Jesus. Everything after the Gospels are pointing back at what Jesus did. So this is it, folks, the big one. Christmas, Easter, those are the big holidays for a reason. Um, and we all have a lot of fun Christmas memories, our favorite cute Christmas stuff, like kids reciting verses and little babies dressed up with Santa beards or whatever it is that's your favorite Christmas thing. And those things are all great. Uh, but this morning, I want to talk about what actually happened at the Christmas story, because sometimes when we hear something so many times, it just it rings so familiar that we don't really think about it, right? And so we're going to talk about the Christmas story and maybe some stuff that we haven't thought about before. So Paul has taught on heaven before, not too long ago, and the Bible doesn't actually say that much about heaven, but it says it's pretty awesome, right? So we know heaven is great. Heaven is wonderful, and that's where Jesus lived. He made it. He lives there. It's a great place. And he had to give that up to come here, right? He had to give up the wonder and perfection of heaven in order to come here. I want you to open up your Bible to Philippians chapter 2. Aren't we in Luke chapter 2, Pastor Nate? Yes, we are. But first, we're going to stop at Philippians because a lot happens before Jesus is born. The story starts before the foundation of the world, in fact, is what the Bible says. Before the foundation of the world, Christ was crucified. Well, that's kind of timey-wimey, right? How does that work? Well, God foresaw creation. He knew what was going to happen. He knew we were going to fall. He knew we'd need a Savior. Jesus says, I'll do it. Okay, you'll be crucified. And that was all planned ahead of time. God didn't create the world and go, oops, well, that didn't work. Darn, now what? We need to come up with an alternative plan. Somebody, somebody, they screwed it up right away, like... Day four, what are we going to do? No, God knew it was coming from the beginning. And so Christ was our savior before the world was even created, which is amazing, totally amazing. Philippians 2, I'm going to start with verse 5. So this is before the incarnation in order to make the incarnation possible. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped. In other words, Jesus is equal with God. He's God. He's part of God. He's equal with God. But he didn't consider that equality something that he had to latch on to. Instead, but he emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant. So he didn't have this form before. Something changed. Something happened. He emptied himself. We'll talk about that in a sec. And he took on the form of a servant, a new form, something different. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him in the name of Jesus. Every knee will bow and every in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So... There are entire seminary and grad school courses about what we're going to talk about right now. I'm going to try to do it in five minutes. And so it's going to be very detailed and exact. No, it's going to be brief. Um, 
So Jesus is God. He's part of God. And then he does this thing. He takes on the form of a servant. He empties himself and he becomes one of us. And he's humble to the point of death, even death on the cross. So what does that mean? Well, in order for the incarnation to be possible, Jesus had to get clever, which is easy for him. He created everything in the world. If you ever looked around the earth and think, well, that was clever, you can thank Jesus. He made that. So one of the things that was a problem is that God in his full glory is incompatible with humankind. And we read about that in Exodus 33. God is very grateful to Moses for helping and for serving so faithfully. And he says, ask me anything. And Moses says, I want to see you as you truly are. And God's like, what a wonderful ask. I love that, Mo. You're the best. However, that would literally kill you. It would literally kill you if you saw me in the fullness of my glory. So God does some like cool stuff so that he, Moses can see part of the full nature of God, but not the whole thing. Because it would kill him. Not because the glory of God is murdery, but because the glory of God is just so powerful. He's so holy. He's so omnipotent. It's like wanting to walk on the sun. It wouldn't go well for you. <laughs> right? And he is so much beyond that. And so Jesus had a problem. I'm, I want to become incarnate, but unless I do something, as soon as I become incarnate in Mary, she'll die, and everyone who sees me will die. And that's not going to work. That's not going to work for the plan. Okay, so he emptied himself is the way the Bible says it. Now, pause. I want to make it really, really clear. Jesus didn't empty himself of his divinity. He was fully God in every way. Okay, he didn't set down any of his godness. He is fully God, 100% God and 100% man. How could Jesus be 100% God and 100% human at the same time? No idea. Next. So he was, a, I'm serious, I don't know. That doesn't make any sense to me. Infinity is hard for humans to understand, right? Infinity is hard to grasp. Eternity is hard to grasp. I look forward to the master class in heaven when we're expanded and we can start to understand these things. And I think the glory of this story will be even greater than when we really understand what Jesus gave up for us. Because I think, I think we can see this much of the sacrifice, when in actuality it was immense. And so Jesus emptied himself, not of his divinity. He's fully God. He emptied himself of some of the attributes that he had. And you could look at it as he set them down in heaven to pick them up later, or you can maybe look at them as like a dimmer switch. He just turned the glory down a bit. Or you could look at it as a veil. The Bible uses that term, he was veiled, so he was like wearing a cloak to cover it. Um, but we see at the transfiguration that he pulls that veil back a little bit. You remember that story? He's up on the mountain, and all of a sudden he pulls that back and reveals some of his greater glory. Only some, because the disciples still survive, right? He doesn't nuke the mountain. It's just what would happen? For real. And so he just pulls back enough to like shine like the sun. And they're like, whoa. If they didn't already believe he was God, I'm pretty sure that did it. Right? But he just peeled it back for a second. And he shined like the sun. And then he put the veil back on. How, whatever helps you to think about it. But that's part of what he set aside. He set aside the full power of the glory of God in order to become one of us. He didn't set aside any of his divine nature. Okay? It's a really important distinction. 
between those two. He was still fully God. Anybody here ever broke your foot, your knee, your leg, something like that, right? I have super annoying. So for a time, after you break a leg or something, you lack the ability to walk properly. But you're still you, right? You don't stop becoming Chris just because you have a limp for a couple of weeks. You're fully Chris still. You just have a little less ability for a temporary period of time, okay? So that's sort of how I think of this as well. He's still fully God. Jesus is fully God in every way, but it wasn't an injury. He chose to set this down, it says. Paul said he voluntarily emptied himself and took on the form of this servant. And so he set down some of his glory. We know for sure that he set down some of his omnipotence. What's omnipotence mean? All-powerful, right? He had to have set down his omnipotence. And we read this in the scripture multiple, multiple times that there's evidence of that. So omnipotence means all-powerful. God doesn't lack anything. He doesn't need anything. He doesn't require anything at all. God doesn't eat. He doesn't need to. He doesn't need to sleep. He chooses to rest in order to fellowship with us, but rest is not the same as sleep, and he doesn't need it. He just chose to do it after creation to be with Adam and Eve. So God doesn't need anything. But to become fully human, Jesus said, okay, I need to turn this down too because I need to experience things the way they experience them. And so in Luke chapter 4, he's out in the desert. And it says he's been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights in prayer. And then it says, and he was hungry. And growing up, I thought that was one of the most hilarious verses in the Bible. Really? After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry? You think so? That's the most obvious thing I've ever read in my life. But in actuality, that is a super profound and deep theological statement. He was hungry. Wait, what? God can't get hungry. That's not how omnipotence works. Yet Jesus was hungry. Okay? So to become like us, he, he turned that omnipotence dial way down. And he experienced hunger. He experienced fatigue. It doesn't ever say that he experienced sickness, but I presume he did. He experienced crying, messing his diaper. He experienced all those things that God would never normally experience. But he made that possible by the incarnation, by emptying himself before he even came down. Imagine sacrificing omnipotence. Yeah. Omnipotence, probably awesome. <laughs> Could to go out on a limb and say, fantastic. Right? It's a good thing none of us have, um, especially me. So he set that down to become a helpless baby who, if somebody doesn't feed him food, he dies. What? He set down that power that he had always had. God's existed from eternity past. He has always been omnipotent. And now he cages his power in this tiny little human. It's incredible. It's incredible what he gave up. The sacrifice is incredible. He gave up his omnipresence. That's kind of obvious. Omnipresence is what? God's everywhere all the time, right? He's everywhere all the time. Well, to become the man Jesus Christ, he's now in one place in space-time, stuck there. We all went through lockdowns not too long ago. I think we understand this maybe a little better than we would have before. It was fun to be able to go anywhere you wanted, anytime, right? And then... We were stuck. Places weren't open. We were supposed to stay home. Was that fun? 
I didn't think it was very fun. Maybe some people did. But I didn't really particularly enjoy that. Because it was confining and restraining and freedom. And all of a sudden, I wanted to go places that I haven't been in years just because I couldn't. Right? And so now imagine being everywhere at the same time. Again, that's hard for our brains to imagine. But imagine being everywhere in the universe at once and now being stuck in one person, in one place, in space-time. And that person is a baby. So Jesus went from being in every room, in every building, all over the world, throughout time, simultaneously, and now he's stuck in the body of someone so helpless that to get to the next room, he needs somebody to pick him up and carry him there. Extreme power and freedom. Itty bitty living space. Sorry, I had to go to Latin. Um, I just thought of that. Um, that's a lot to give up. That's a, uh, your entire frame of reference. He's God. He's everywhere at once. And now he's, he's in one person. I can't imagine how hard that was. I can't imagine the kind of sacrifice that was. And I look forward to heaven because I think God's going to open our minds to understand these kind of things better. And I guarantee you, when we understand the incarnation fully when we're in heaven, it could take thousands of years for us to get it. I don't know. But when we do, we're just going to fall on our face for like months in awe of what he gave up for us. So the owner of the universe, the great provider, now requires other humans, sinful humans, to provide for him. If he doesn't get food, shelter, clothing, protection, there's people trying to murder him any minute now. He'll die. Risky. Vulnerable. To an amazing degree. A ridiculous degree, in my opinion. This is God we're talking about here. So... The, the, the Christmas story is incredible. The, the amount of humility that we see is really incredible. And that's, that's the point I want to bring home this morning. If you don't remember anything else, remember this. At Christmas, God demonstrated his power through humility. And he demonstrated his love through sacrifice. That's what the incarnation is about. It's also what the cross is about, which is not an accident. The birth foreshadows the death. All right, let's turn to Luke 2. We already heard it recited, but I'd like to go over some things in a little more depth. So Jesus is about to be born now, and he's already given up all of that that we just talked about. Okay, He's given up all those things. I'm going to read the first few verses again. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus, uh, that's Julius Caesar's adopted nephew who is now ruling the vast Roman Empire. Roman Empire, by the way, we're talking about one city ruling like half the world. It's not like nations today. This is a city. It would be like Minneapolis is in charge of the United States. And nobody else has a say in what happens. And we appoint the other governors. And we tell them to do what we want, and they have to do it, or we beat them up with our army. So it, it's a different sort of situation. So uh, from Caesar Augustus, that all the world should be registered to be taxed. He wanted to throw a big party uh, for his anniversary, among a couple other things. And so he forced the poor people that he was ruling to pay for it. Great guy. This was the first 
registration where Kyrenius was governor of Syria. That's a great historical bit that shows us exactly kind of when this happens, which is cool. Um, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem because he was the house and lineage of David. So Joseph has to go and pay this tax. He doesn't have a choice to pay the tax. If he doesn't go, he gets beat up and tortured because the Romans are very tortury and they're very murdery and they don't like people telling them no. And because Israel is an outlying province, it's very, very far from Rome. And because of that, in the outlying provinces, there were more soldiers. Because, oh, we're so far from Rome, we can get away with anything. They can't think that. So we need to send soldiers all the time, everywhere to make them know they can't rebel. They can't get away with doing anything they want. And so he has to go, and he has to pay these taxes. These folks were already poor, especially Joseph. But everybody there was already taxed into oblivion. This is a special tax. This isn't your yearly tax. This isn't your monthly tax. This isn't the normal taxes. This is an extra special bonus tax that everybody gets to pay. And they're probably super excited about it. Joseph has to leave his home for, he doesn't know for how long, but at least months. At least months. It's a long journey. You've got to wait. You've got to be registered. That means he's not working. So he's out of work. They didn't have any government stimulus checks in those days. So he's getting no income, already poor, baby on the way. And he gets to do all of that for the privilege of paying a bunch more money in taxes. Okay? So it kind of stinks for Joseph. Like a lot. Okay? Um, and I'll just say about that, you know, a lot of people talk about how lousy things are right now in America. Our government's so bad, we don't like it because of this and that. I'm not saying that's not true, but for a little perspective, we're very fortunate and blessed compared to here. Jesus was born into a truly oppressive system. They have like a hundred words for killing in Latin. Killing by cutting someone right here the carotid artery, special word for that. Killing by cutting here and disemboweling, special word for that, versus killing by cutting here and disemboweling, which is a different word. They were highly proficient at death and oppression. And historians like me like the efficiency of it. And we look back and we're like, oh, the aqueduct, look at all the cool stuff they did, roads. But they were terrible, <laughs> okay? This is oppression, real oppression. And so we are very blessed. So let's remember to be thankful. And let's remember what happened here in, in Israel at the time that was so much worse than it is now. And God looked down at that horrible situation and he said, this is a perfect time to send my son. Perfect. But God, it's, this is about the worst it's ever been. It's Israel's darkest hour, certainly one of their darkest hours. And God said, I know, right? Isn't that perfect? And so right now, if you look around or make the mistake of maybe watching the news um, and you see what's going on, please, if you think to yourself, it's so terrible, God's never going to bless us or he's going to judge us or whatever, take that thought captive in obedience to Christ. Because when God looks down on us, he doesn't say, well, I might, might as well give up on them. He looks down and says, what a perfect time to send the Holy Spirit in a special way and bring revival and awakening to my people. That's what God thinks when he looks down on us, just like he thought 
about Israel when he looked down on them in the first century. I am convinced of that. So if you find yourself worrying, complaining, and having other negative thoughts or emotions, uh, work on that. <laughs> work on that and think about Jesus coming into the worst possible situation. And God's like, that is ideal. So they travel to Bethlehem because that is Joseph's ancestral home through David. Now Mary was also descended from King David by a different son. Uh, but they don't care about Mary because she's a woman. And women in almost all cultures of the world at that time were basically property. Because it stunk back then. Okay? There have been some improvements. And so they go... They go to Bethlehem. This is a dangerous journey. We didn't talk about this beforehand, but our resident OBGYN, I got to ask, full-term mother. She's going to go about 90 miles to Bethlehem from Nazareth. It's hot there, if you don't know a lot about the climate. She's going to be bouncing up and down on a donkey slash walking for the, probably the better part of a week, they don't exactly have a freeway, right? Does that sound like a great idea for a full-term pregnant person? No, I suspected not. Those of you here, and there are many, who have had children, including very recently, <laughs> does that sound like a good plan to you? I am about to pop, people. I'm not just pregnant, I'm very pregnant. Let's bounce on a donkey for a week in the hot, hot sun. Doesn't that sound fun? No. That's like torture. But they have to go. They have to. Joseph will get thrown in jail and tortured otherwise. And they'll just take all this stuff when he's in there. So that's not good. So this is risky, and this is not fun. This trip, you know, she could have gone into labor on the donkey. Guess what? She did. She went into labor on the way. Because when she got there, she was having the baby. And they couldn't find anywhere to go. And so, I mean, labor can take a different amount of time for different patients, right? But it's not unusual for it to be 12 hours, sometimes 24 hours. I know people who are even longer than that, especially in their first baby. So that means they're still on the road, on the way to Bethlehem, on the donkey, in the heat. And Mary's like, so Joe, how close do you think we are right now? Oh, you know, maybe another 12-hour ride. We're getting close. We're almost there. Why do you ask? No reason. <sighs> Can you imagine being in active labor on a donkey? It's a fun, cute story because we grew up with it. But in reality, this is a horror story if you're Mary or Joseph. This is not fun. It's not easy. It's really hard. And then they get there. I guarantee you they are praying like mad the whole time from when she goes into labor. Oh, God, please, please don't let the baby be born in the middle of nowhere. There's animals out here. I mean, it's not safe. This is not good. They finally make it. They got to be relieved. They get to Bethlehem. Knock, knock, knock. Nope. Knock, knock, knock. Nope. Who knows how long it went on. It probably was directly influenced by how actively she was giving birth right now. Because at some point, you stop and you find a place to sit or to at least catch, right? So there's no room in, it says the guest room. There was no room for them in the guest room. We don't know if that means in, like a you know, local Motel 6 kind of an inn, or if it was the guest room in like Joseph's relative's house. 
which is what would have been expected. His relatives would have been expected to put up Joseph, because that's how guest rights worked um, in the ancient world. Even if they were like shirt tail relatives, they're supposed to put them up. Uh, it's weird to me that they did not. It, it, if even a third cousin eight times removed showed up at your house with an actively laboring woman, don't you think you'd be like, we will find you space. Like, right here on the floor, anywhere. We will help you. And they did not get it. And I suspect that that was because they were not married. And in that time, it, there, there's still, in certain cultures here in the world, there's still a lot of shame around illegitimate birth. But back then, it was, it was a shunning offense, even a stoning offense, depending on where in Israel you lived. And so I'm going to guess that his family's like, you know what? No. We don't know for sure. But we do know that Jesus was rejected before he's even born. Nobody can find room for him. And so they end up giving birth somewhere where there's animals, because there's a manger there. Could be out back at his relative's house, maybe. All right, you can use a stable, you know, whatever. But he's there. Uh, um, they're there. They give birth to Jesus in a stable. So there's animals. And there was hay, you know. So like there's animals actively in there. Anybody ever been around a stable? Or a barn, we're in a barn right now. Uh, anybody recall the smell of that building? Animals poop all the time. So the king of kings, the holiest of holies, God himself is being born next to a big old pile of animal poop and then set in a feeding trough. Does that seem right to you? It goes against all my sensibilities. That is beyond humble. That is humiliating, isn't it? That is a humiliating birth, which, by the way, nobody made up this story. This is not how you make up a story of an all-powerful God, right? The story is, zap, lightning, here I am. Mountains melt, all this stuff. The stuff you read about Jesus in the second coming. But no. That's not how God came. He came in an unbelievable way, an incredibly humble way, a humiliating way. So again, God shows his love for us through sacrifice. He shows his power not in the way that humans think of showing power. He shows his power in humility. It's, it's amazing. Okay, so... The Son of God, the long-awaited Messiah, the second person of the Trinity, has come to us, Emmanuel. Praise God. But he gave up a lot for it to happen. He gave up the beauty and majesty of heaven to become one of us. He gave up his omnipotence to become one of us. He gave up his omnipresence to be stuck in one place in space-time now. He gave up or, or turned down or however you want to look at these things. Um, a lot of his glory the glory of God. Again, he was fully God and fully man, but he had to give up some of these things for the incarnation to be possible. A risky journey, late in pregnancy, really tough. Jesus could have died. Babies die in difficult deliveries all the time, especially back then. Medicine wasn't so awesome. He's born as part of an oppressed minority people group, very oppressed, and he's got discrimination because his parents weren't wed and everybody knew it. Even the Pharisees knew it later. You mentioned that just a couple weeks ago. 
Even the Pharisees knew it later on when Jesus was doing ministry. They're like, well, at least we weren't born in illegitimacy, which they probably used a different word. But he's poor. He's homeless. He's born to a no-account family from a no-account town. Remember Nathaniel's response or Philip's response? Jesus from Nazareth. Nazareth? Has anything good ever come from Nazareth? So this is a hick town, right? God's making weird choices, isn't he? It almost seems like he's going out of his way to make this a humble, humiliating even story, isn't he? Let's pick some super poor person. Let's make him not be married yet. Let's make him from a no-account town. Let's make it so that no one knows or cares about their family name. And then let's make it really, really risky. And then as soon as he's born, how about he's on the run for his life and has to go live as a refugee in Egypt? Good, good call. Give me more. <laughs> Give me more ideas. These are great. <clears throat> I used to look at this story like, I, I don't get it. It doesn't seem right. It would make me angry when I would think about this story. This is wrong. It's wrong for Jesus to be born like this. He's, he's a refugee for at least two years, we think, in Africa. Which, uh, pause, how do you think you would have treated Jesus the refugee? How do you treat our refugees? There's about 100,000 of them now, I think, in the Twin Cities. Mostly from Africa. Interestingly. So Jesus was once welcomed by Africa and kept safe as a refugee there. Might we consider honoring that same Jesus by maybe returning the favor to the African refugees that are here? I could do a whole sermon on that. Maybe I will someday, but I think we should think about that. So the creator of the universe laid to rest in an animal stall. It's humiliating. It's insane. The whole story seems ridiculous when you look at it. It's, and when you really think about it, it is just, it's nuts. It seems wrong. It seems crazy. No fanfare, no trumpets. Nobody knows about it except for a few shepherds that nobody cares about. <laughs> so I think when you look at it from the outside, the birth of the king of kings it just seems nuts. And yet, from heaven's perspective, it was the most beautiful thing that had ever happened on planet Earth. Because heaven sees things differently <laughs> than we do. So why? Why is it that we see it as so crazy and wrong and heaven sees it as the most beautiful thing ever? Because God demonstrates his strength through humility and he demonstrates his love through sacrifice. The greatest love is sacrificial love. Amen? God is making a powerful statement, not just to us later as we read this, but he's making a powerful statement to the world at that time. So Israel's right here, a tiny little strip on the very edge of the Roman Empire. Giant Roman Empire over here, tiny Israel here, giant Parthian Empire, as it was called. They used to call it Persian, but scholars call it the Parthian Empire now. Those two giant, huge global empires are at war off and on for many, many centuries. So Jesus is born into this tiny place in the Roman Empire. Now, the leader of the Roman Empire, the emperor, Caesar Augustus at the time, was referred to as the King of Kings. That was his title. Because as Rome would conquer different places, he would let them keep their kings as long as they served him. So Israel still had King Herod, Herod the Great at this time, right? But the king of that king, the king of all the kings, was the emperor. King of Kings. Parthian Empire, same title. 
king of kings. He was a king over all the other kingdoms. And here the true king of kings is now coming into the world. Now imagine the Roman emperor is born, the Parthian emperor, I mean, uh, they, they have an heir, which would have been a son at that time. They have a son. The new king of kings has been born. Imagine the fanfare. <coughs> Excuse me. Imagine the party. We declare a year of feasting and celebration, right? Everybody in the kingdom is going to know the new king of kings has been born. There's an heir. Go pay money and worship him. Okay? Everybody would have known. Here, the true king of kings is being born in the exact opposite way. Nobody knows about it. The most meager, poor circumstances you can imagine. Risky circumstances. Disgusting circumstances. A few people knew about it. Eventually. There are some shepherds. We don't know how many. They knew. Eventually, there's some wise men who come, but that was much later. We'll talk about that in a couple weeks. So do you see the stark difference, the incredible difference between the kingdoms of this world and the kingdom of God? So God is trying to make a really strong point here to be like, I am different than you. I don't do things how you do them. I don't display strength through destruction. I display strength through humility because that's how strong I am. I am so strong that I can humiliate myself and it doesn't diminish me one bit. I am so loving that I can sacrifice myself. It doesn't diminish me. It's not hard for me to sacrifice for you. That's how much I love you. So again, the discrepancy is incredible and we see it again and again, true power expressed through humility and the greatest love expressed through sacrifice. And that's the God we serve. That's the God we serve. And that was his introduction. The part before the credits of the film was incredible, incredible humility. Of course, the same humility as is echoed later in the crucifixion, right? And that's why we've been doing communion every week during Advent. Because Jesus said, do this little ritual to declare my death until I come again. And the birth foreshadows the death, right? Jesus, or God could have sent the heavenly host, the same one who sang to the shepherds. He could have sent them and wiped out Rome like that. Nothing. Rome's gone. Instead, he let himself be ridiculed, mocked, humiliated, tortured, probably while naked for everybody to see. They gambled over his clothes, and then they murdered him. And he allowed that to happen, just like he allowed the birth to happen in such an incredibly humble way. God could have made sure Jesus was born in the greatest palace ever, had the best doctors, wrapped in silk. Everything could have been the best humankind could have given. And it still wouldn't have been enough, would it? Not even close. But God said, no, 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 none of that. None of that. We're going to do the opposite. So this Christmas, when you look at the little baby in the manger, I don't want you to not think, isn't that cute and isn't that wonderful? But I would also like you to think, add to the things you do during Christmas. Think about the sacrifice Jesus made just to get there. Think about the risks he took just to get there. Think about the vulnerability that God himself was willing to show in order for Jesus to come. Rejection, oppression, humiliation, true poverty, 
and all so that he could eventually be tortured and degraded and humiliated and murdered. And he did that for you. And you, watching at home. And me. Because the greatest love is shown through sacrifice. And God showed us the greatest sacrifice. Because he is love. God is love. And so God is sacrifice. That's what real love looks like. So if you, uh, you know, if you haven't made room in your heart for this humble God yet, then this Christmas is the time for you to do that. And if you have friends or people who live with you or neighbors or coworkers who haven't made room in their heart for Jesus yet, I think this is the Christmas for them too. And I think you should pray about when to talk to them. I think that's the least we can do. Ask yourself, how are you going to respond to what God was willing to do? He's willing to give up everything for you. So how are you going to respond to that? How can you follow the example of Jesus' humility and sacrificial love during this Christmas season with your family, with your friends, with your neighbors, with that older person down the street who you never see because they pretty much never get out anymore? How do you show the sacrificial love of God to them that was showed to you? I want to think about these things. Let's, let's close in prayer, and then we're going to hear a song. Come on up, Kaylee. Father God, we can't imagine what it was like to give up your only son like this. You must have been a pretty proud papa, though, when he volunteered. And Jesus, we see through a glass darkly. We barely understand this stuff. We barely see the sacrifice that you made and the infinite majesty that you gave up for your time on earth to be with us. But even the little that we see it puts us in awe of you. It puts us in awe of your love for us, in awe of what you were willing to do for us. So we ask you this Christmas not to just go through the motions, but that you would give a spirit of revelation for these things in our hearts, that we would really see and understand just how much you sacrificed, the immensity of your love for us, the immensity of your power, that you could have the most humiliating birth and be quite confident the whole time. Pray that you would bless us as we interact with other people. Sometimes the holidays can get difficult to interact with people. There's so much going on. It can be stressful. Help us to say no to that stuff this year, to not let the stress or worry in, but instead to think about how we can show sacrificial love to those family members, those friends, those neighbors, even the ones that are harder to be with, especially, actually, the ones that are harder to be with. And bless the babies in the room. Charles, right? Charles Francis, lovely. Bless baby Charles. Amen. Um, Kaylee is going to do a song now. She wrote the song for Christmas, and it really goes with the sermon well. I was going to have her do it beforehand, but I decided to have her do it afterwards. Otherwise, I would have started my sermon bawling, and that makes it difficult. So thank you, Kaylee. They rode all day, and they rode all night. Mm-hmm.
time to come till they ask will he sleep on hay baby baby boy not a throne but a manger baby baby boy born to be my savior baby baby boy not a throne but a manger baby Thank you, my. 
someone was in the back wanting to sing, and because I know her so well, I know who it is. That was Karen that was humming back there because she wanted to, she she wanted to sing along. I just know her. Next time. Know. Next time. Yeah, you'll get a chance, honey. <laughs> so incarnation is a couple words. Incarne, in flesh, carne. You've seen that word a lot of times. Carna, in flesh, in meat. God in meat, God in flesh. It's so important, and we just heard what I would call the best sermon I've ever heard on the Incarnation. Anybody agree? Yeah. That, that that was absolutely powerful, very thankful. I, I was close to tears more than once. So was I. Because uh, you made it graphic and you made it meaningful. So thank you, Nate. And I also like that he's willing to use his family. Some pastors, I've, I've seen that before, where pastors are reluctant to use their family as a part of the ministry. I grew up with not that happening. I grew up participating. And I like the way he involves his family with him. It's very natural and it's very special. Thank you for the scripture, kids. And uh, you look pretty good, too. I mean, you, you, <laughs> you, you dress up nicely, like, like the tie. I also like the long hair. <laughs> very California when you grew up, right? Yeah, very much so. So, wonderful morning. Wonderful to, to celebrate this way together. And uh, are we? We're past. Yeah, okay. So we will, uh, I'll give you the benediction, make an announcement, and then we'll have food together. Compliments of a variety of people, but uh, Amy, you put it together, right? You, you, this is Amy's thing. So uh, much appreciated, Amy. And the benediction, it just isn't a way to close the service, it's to take on something of God himself. We're, we're, we're giving people, here, is he, here he is, you grab him. So I'm going to say this to you. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord look upon you with his favor and grant you his peace in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.